Welcome back. So far, we've talked a lot about problems in the system. And while this week isn't all that different, don't be silly. Of course, we're going to talk about problems. The start is really a little bit more refreshing because it's all about the limitations we place on improperly obtained evidence by not using it in criminal proceedings, better known as the exclusionary rule. So it's a protection. Yay, finally some good news, I know. So let's dig in, shall we? When we talk about the exclusionary rule, it means that only properly obtained evidence can be used in court, and improperly obtained evidence has to be kicked out, so not heard. And many times this can stem from improperly applying things like reasonable suspicion and probable cause. So hint, hint, why the content from the week's prior is so important leading up to now, and also hint, hint, this is important stuff for your upcoming verbal exam. So if you only have, say, reasonable suspicion and you decided to search someone, you've now violated their Fourth Amendment rights and any evidence you then obtain will not be able to be used in that case. So as an officer, you can butcher an entire case by messing up at the beginning. And that's why you really should care about this content. Okay, so the exclusionary rule. The exclusionary rule stems from another case out of Ohio in the 1960s. This is from Matt versus Ohio. This is another seminal case, really in the top five cases that you should know as an AJ major, by the way. And in this case, there was a search for a bombing suspect that led police to Miss Dolly Mapp's house. And um, the police suspected that she had a her basement tenant was the guy that was involved in the bombing. And the police provided her with a fake warrant. And so pay attention right there. And then searched her home for the bombing suspect that they believed was living in her basement. However, they also went upstairs to Dolly's room. And in her drawers, they found obscene materials from pornographic comic books. They seized this and charged her. Yes, in the 1960s, they seized pornographic comic books and charged for a crime. Seems archaic. Absolutely. But Dolly fought this in court, as her defense attorney argued that because the warrant was fake, the search was thus illegal. It's a Fourth Amendment violation, right? And the evidence obtained for the illegal search should be inadmissible, was the argument. And the Supreme Court agreed and applied what is now known as the exclusionary rule to the state level. Um, and they also established the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine prior to this ruling that states that any evidence that comes after and indirectly from the illegal or violation of rights cannot be used against you either. And they incorporated that doctrine too. So this judicially created rule was a power to the people ruling that was created to help limit the power of police and their misconduct, especially, and to disallow police and the courts from benefiting benefiting from bad investigations. As before this case, illegally obtained evidence was actually used in state courts. The initial exclusionary rule came from Weeks versus U.S. in 1914, and this case made it so that illegally obtained evidence could not be used at the federal level. And then Silverthorne Lumber Company versus U.S. in 1920 gave us the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine at the federal level too, though the language of fruit of the poisonous tree came a few years later in Nardone v. U.S. in 1939. But again, None of these cases applied to the states. So it took Matt versus Ohio to more broadly apply the exclusionary rule and its intricacies outward to state proceedings. Thus, this is an extremely important historical case for state level criminal procedure protections. Prior to Matt versus Ohio, illegally obtained evidence was used. And after this case in 1961, illegally ob obtained evidence could no longer be used in court against you. So it's an incredibly big deal. Now, there are some exceptions. Of course, they couldn't make this easy, right? And there are instances when the exclusionary rule just doesn't apply. So let's dig in. First, let's go over exceptions to the exclusionary rule and fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine. 
First up is the independent source doctrine, which states that evidence can be used if the police find another way of finding the same evidence that is not tainted. So perhaps they messed up on finding evidence initially, but if another avenue exists that has not been violated, they can go for it. Second is inevitable discovery. And this just means that the, that the police would have inevitably found the evidence in the future, despite the illegality of it initially. So see the Nix versus Williams 1984 case. So in this case, while police illegally obtained information from the defendant during an interrogation about the whereabouts of the body of a young girl he was thought to have murdered, there was a search underway at the same time, and they found the body a short time after he gave the information. So while the information from the defendant should not be used in court, the police would have found the body with or without it. And lastly is then the passage of time rule, um, where as long as there's enough time uh, through that, you know, again, it doesn't convey the, the two things intersecting each other, um, then, the, then they can also use the evidence. So again, the court doesn't like to specify exact amounts of times, but this is especially where the there's enough time between the illegal conduct by police and the discovery of the evidence that it can actually end up being used. Not particularly common, by the way. In addition to exceptions, there are also limits on where the exclusionary rule applies. The exclusionary rule only applies to the government, so namely police, not to private searches. So as long as someone outside of government personnel finds something, it really doesn't matter how they found it. Also, the exclusionary rule only applies to criminal cases. Illegally obtained evidence can be used against you in civil-based trials, by the way. Also, evidence obtained by consent does not apply to the exclusionary rule. And in most cases, again, consent is what happens, as people are highly unaware of their rights and tend to defer to law enforcement, even when they probably shouldn't. Um, as in many of these cases, police, again, are asking perhaps because they don't have something like probable cause. But it doesn't matter because if you give them consent, they're good to go. Additionally, the exclusionary rule does not apply to abandoned property and or denial of ownership. So if you throw it out and if it's not on your property, um, garbage cans can get kind of tricky here, but typically things within these realms can be fair game. Or in places that you do not have an expectation of privacy or that are in plain view. If you're in the public or someone can clearly see something in your home, et cetera, et cetera. And while the curtilage around your home has privacy protections, remember that's that land immediately surrounding the home, the open fields around it do not because there's no expectation of privacy. And further, the exclusionary rule doesn't apply to good faith exceptions or honest mistake where the police think they're operating correctly. This allows evidence to be used in cases where the search warrant, let's say, has a technical error. We don't want to discard the evidence because of a screw up in the technicalities, However, this does open a very wide door for what this actually is or what can fall into it, by the way. All right, so those are the basics. Make sure to beef up your knowledge of exclusionary rule, as I'll definitely be asking you about it on the verbal exam. All right, until next time.